Hello, this is your Bible teaching programme, Search for Truth. I'm John Martin and I give you a warm welcome and thank you for joining us for another talk in our series called Once Saved, Always Saved. Each week, Brian, our Bible teacher, is looking at evidence in the Bible which tells us about the nature of our salvation. That's what we possess as a result of our believing in God and owning Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life. We're going to learn from our Bible with Brian just how secure that salvation is for the true believer. So please stay with us as we join Brian. Thanks, John. You know, few things are as controversial in the world of sport as a goal being disallowed because the ball entered the goal half a second after the final whistle blew. Many football, and by that I mean soccer to some, many football referees will not blow the final whistle when there's an imminent chance of a goal. Rather, they will wait and see what happens. Conversely, some referees decide shortly before the end of regulation time to add a precise increment of time, let's say one minute, and then they blow the whistle when the clock strikes without any regard of what's happening at that precise moment. Both approaches are permitted under the laws of the game and each reflect a different notion of time and the role of the referee. One referee who followed the second approach was Clive Thomas. At least he did when Brazil were playing a World Cup match against Sweden in 1978. As that match drew to a close, Clive Thomas blew the final whistle, seconds before Zico of Brazil scored what would have been the winning goal from a corner. Imagine the reaction of the players. In all the excitement of the action and the cauldron of noise in the stadium, it's possible that the players concerned at first think that the goal will count. The Brazilian players are of course overjoyed and then so disappointed. But now think of the Swedish players. They have tried so hard to contain the talented Brazilians. They've done so well, but seem to have lost the match in the dying seconds of play. They're exhausted and devastated. The ball is in the back of their net. They've come so close, but they've lost. But no, they see the referee walking to the exit and realise he'd blown the whistle to end the match seconds before the ball ended up in their net. What a relief for them to realise the game had been finalised before the winning move was completed. What had seemed like the winning goal was in fact too late to count. They had not lost after all. This idea of something having been finalised such that it's too late to lose it is an idea I want to come back to shortly. But first, let's turn to our Bibles. In one far eastern country which I visit, one chapter they love to hear is this one from Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The first thing 
which catches their attention is the opening statement that before a person receives Christ by faith, that person is dead in his or her sins. We often illustrate this by referring to a time in that country when there was a stay of execution for all drug traffickers. For a while, they remained imprisoned on death row, not knowing what would become of them. The newspaper one morning described them as the living dead. That description grabbed people's attention. It accurately described people who were still physically alive and breathing, but because of a death sentence hanging over them, which could be carried out at any time, they were, in another sense, as good as dead already. In a similar way, the Bible effectively describes sinners as the living dead of this world. In fact, they're in a worse state because many don't realise their desperate predicament. Many are still trying to enjoy life to the full without realising that the wages of sin is death, as Romans 6 and 23 tells us. We then explain there's a fate worse than death, that is, worse than physical death. Physical death is the separation of the soul from the body, but spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. And when we die in our sins, not having repented and received God's salvation in Christ, that separation becomes eternal and is known biblically as the second death. But how the faces of our friends in the Far East light up when they hear verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. All their lives, very often, they've been taught that salvation is a reward for their own good works. Traditional rituals and the influence of the cults have shaped their thinking. But then God's Spirit works through the preaching of God's Word. And very often, it's this verse which unlocks their hearts. They learn for the first time that they could never earn God's salvation. It's by grace that they are saved, and not by anything of their own doing. That truth, and indeed that verse, becomes etched in their hearts and minds, and they rush off to tell others this liberating news. Having faithfully preached salvation as not being the result of good works, we next have to counter any suspicion that we are saying good works are not at all important for the Christian. Of course, we can use the same set of Bible verses again. For Ephesians chapter 2, which has already taught us in verse 1 that the unsaved sinner is dead in his or her sins, and gone on in verses 8 and 9 to so clearly teach that the only way of salvation from the punishment which our sins deserve is by receiving God's salvation as a free gift, that same portion ends up in verse 10, telling us that the Christian, that is, the now saved sinner, has been saved for a purpose, and that purpose is to do the good works which God has specially planned in advance for that person to do. Good works are important, but not as the method or means of obtaining salvation. Doing good works does not bring about our salvation, but our salvation should lead us to do those good works which God has already prepared in advance for us to do. Even after setting this out in its careful biblical order, there can sometimes be lingering doubts. It's then we have to go back and get them to read and reread Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7 again. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is often when the realisation dawns that their salvation is totally secure in Christ. Not only has it been brought about by God's grace and not their own efforts, but from the time they first believed this good news message, they who were previously dead in their sins have been already made alive. It's not a future promise. It's already actually happened. And what's more, God has already raised them up with Christ and actually seated them with him in the heavenly realms. In other words, the outcome is already finalised in God's purpose. As far as God is concerned, we're already seated and glorified with Christ. Do you remember still our opening illustration? Perhaps it'll make more sense now if we refresh our recollection of it. Brazil were playing a World Cup soccer or football match against Sweden in 1978. And as that match drew to a close, the referee blew the final whistle just seconds before one of the Brazilian players scored what would have then been the winning goal. Imagine the reaction of the players. In all the excitement and in all the noise, it was simply possible that the Swedish players at first thought the goal would count. And they tried so hard to contain the Brazilians. They'd done so well, but then they seemed to have lost the match in the dying seconds of play. They're exhausted and devastated. The ball's in the back of their net. They've come so close, but it seems that they've lost. But no! Then they see the referee walking to the exit. Slowly it begins to dawn on them that he'd already blown the whistle to end the match seconds before the ball ended up in their goal. What a relief it was for them to realise that the game had been finalised before the winning move was completed. What had seemed like the winning goal was in fact too late to count. They'd not lost after all. The match had already been finalised so that it couldn't be lost. And it's the same with our salvation. We may stumble and we may fall after our conversion, but it's already too late to lose our salvation. We've already been raised to the heavenly realms. None of this is intended, we should emphasise, to give us the licence to live as we please. Ephesians chapter 2 has already ruled that out. God's purpose is that, now as a Christian, we should be careful to do good works. The 8th chapter of Romans is one which begins by declaring no condemnation for all who've trusted in Christ. And it ends just as emphatically by declaring there's no separation ever from the love of Christ which brought us into that state of no condemnation. In other words, we are secured by Christ's unconditional love, not our own. Praise God for that.
Our hymn says, No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him my living head, and clothed with righteousness divine. I trust you have a greater assurance of salvation after hearing today's talk. If you'd like to study this subject more deeply, there's a transcript booklet available which covers the whole of the ten-part series. And if you'd like one, or more than one for group study, ask for the title, Once Saved, Always Saved. You can contact us by email or by post. Here's the address. Search for Truth, P.O. Box 70115, Chilomani, Blantyre, Malawi. And the email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You can also find a selection of past programmes and some uh, other helpful material on our website at www.searchfortruth.org.uk. So that's all we have today, but thanks again for the privilege of your company. Please join us next week, if you can, for another talk on Once Saved, Always Saved. But until then, we give our very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye for now, and may God richly bless you. <laughs>